the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager and Julie Hartman. After careful, careful thought, we decided to name our podcast Dennis and Julie. I mean, the amount of time it took to come up with that unique name. Hey, it actually did take a lot of time. Do you remember the early iterations no. of the name? <laughs> You're joking. No, we I'm not joking. We had something other than Dennis and Julie? Oh, my God. You don't remember what, the emails? Like Bob and Carol? And what? What? No, no. You wanted to call it Generations. Or two generations, oh. which isn't a bad name because it's it's sort of our yeah, shtick. That is interesting. But um, hmm. someone, I'm not going to say who, but someone wanted to call it Dennis and the Harvard Ways. <laughs> How dumb is that? Sorry to well, the person at Salem that, who that, proposed that, but that's pretty bad. But the person who proposes it is not a dummy. No, the person who proposed it, it isn't a dumb idea. At all. It was a dumb idea. That was so bad. And, I want to make that clear. And okay. Dennis wrote back. It was so funny because we were just like exchanging emails. Uh-huh. And Dennis writes back, "What? What are we going to call it? Julie and the Columbia Wiz? Like, how does you know? What does it matter? The no, no, the degree. I, no. It would be the Harvard Wiz and the grad school dropout. That would be good. Yeah, we could do it. That's right." <laughs> You know, those who attack me on the internet, and they are legion, they, that is actually one of those that they point, they point, they, they will almost never say, not that I care, obviously, but they will, they won't say, Dennis was at graduate school at Columbia University, say, Dennis is a grad school dropout. They like, say that. Like, that's a disgrace. So, I, by the way, for the record, just for the record, I don't know if, if I mentioned this, let me know. But for the record, I left in order to write a book. That book is still 50 years later. Is it almost 50, 48 years later? The best selling English language introduction to Judaism ever written. So was was it worth leaving graduate school not to do a master's thesis? On Lenin. Yes. I think you made the right choice. I, I just, that's well, my hunch. When I was thinking about writing a thesis, I'm so glad I didn't, but I was really, I was debating it so much. I actually called Sue, Dennis's wife and research extraordinaire and also fabulous advice giver. And I was going through topics with her and I came to the conclusion, first of all, why would I write a thesis after losing a year and a half of, of in-person college experience? So I'm going to spend my senior year, my last year back in college in the library? No. Also, if I, I'm going to write a conservative thesis. You think the history department's going to award me a magna or a summa when I write? I actually wanted to write on Black Lives Matter. I wanted to write a the- thesis exposing Black Lives Matter and talking about civil rights movements in U.S. history and how Black Lives Matter is a terrible distortion of, of a civil rights movement. Um, and I didn't think that would you, go over well. <laughs> that reminds me of something just recently published that in uh, in certain de- debating societies in either college or high school, there are positions that are no longer takeable in debates. And they gave two examples that America is not systemically racist. You, it's not even a position worthy of debate. Oy. And the other is... That Israel is right in the Middle East conflict. Yeah. Well, you you at Oxford did the debate on um, the yes. question of the debate was who's at fault, Hamas or Israel? Who, the greater obstacle to peace. Imagine that. Yeah. As I said, I'm very proud of that. It's on the internet. People could watch it. Dennis Prager at Oxford. And I, I said, this would be the first time in history of a conflict between a free society and a tyranny 
that the free society was the one that wanted war. Yep. Well, you said when we went to that fun debate where my friends came, um, when you were debating the rabbi on whether people are inherently good or not, you said, I feel today, just the premise of this debate, the question, are people inherently good? It is as bizarre as as having the premise be, is Hamas or Israel the issue? Do your friends know that anything they ever say to you will be remembered? (laughs) You You have to ask my friends. Well, we have one who's, who's here with her grandfather, who's sitting in, and, and they're the first guest we have ever allowed ever on, on, on the show. And what about Amala? Yeah, we did have Amala. Well, we had Amala as a... as a. Oh, no, Amala was on the we've show. We've never had an no, 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 person no. These guest are, before. These are folks just who are in the studio. Okay, so Sean will go to the punishment room later for a totally irrelevant note. But he's batting very high percentage. Anyway, uh, it is a uh, an indication of the closeness that you have with your friend. Oh, yes. By the way, it's a very touching thing when I see a child and a grandparent. The The opportunity that people have in both directions, grandparents to grandchildren... And and children to grandparents, grandchildren to grandparents is unique in the human experience. It's a, and I'll give you. I, I don't. I always throw out generalizations, but always give specifics. So, the, uh, I'll I'll tell you my own my own parents. My parents were not particularly warm to their children, my brother and me. Mm-hmm. I say this with ze- by the way zero anger, zero negativity. And God knows not to hurt them. I'm just describing that was not uncommon in the World War II generation. These were not, you know, oh, I love you. Oh, you're terrific. Oh, you, you, you did a great bowel movement. This was That was not the generation. Okay, so this is the, the only reason I'm mentioning it is they were transformed when they became grandparents. Oh, really? Then they became incredibly loving and warm and it it, it was we knew it we all knew it it wasn't a secret that they they acted differently toward the grandchildren than toward the children and the the other way around there are kids the almost every child on earth has had some ambivalence about a parent It, it doesn't almost exist it exists but it's very rare the other way but the on not all occasions at all, but on many occasions, the feelings of a grandchild to a grandparent, not necessarily all four, but to at least one, are unique in the human experience. Mm-hmm. I have had uh, people tell me, oh, my, my grandfather just died, my grandmother just died, and they are really... Upset is, is is an understatement. It, it's a blow, their closeness to that grandparent. And one final word on that: I tell grandparents who are not thrilled with their their children's values, life has sort of given you another chance to influence your progeny by your touching your grandchild's life. So it's a very powerful thing. Yeah, it's almost like another round. Did you have a strong grandparent? No, I didn't. And, you know, I'm not just saying this because my dear friend is here watching, though. It's certainly a plus that I'm saying it while my dear friend is here watching. But she she's always been so close with her grandparents from the time that we were that I've known her when I met her when I was 12. I mean, always talking about them, always with them, always having dinners with them. She really does honor them. And and she's so close with them. I can't think of another friend, honestly, that I have that has as close of a relationship with her or his, but I have mostly girlfriends, grandparents as as my friend Gabby. It's it's rare. And and I admire that a lot about her. Certainly, she has great grandparents that make it easy to to be close with. But I think it's just we live in this culture where your your grandparents don't really matter. I didn't I didn't have 
a close relationship with my grandparents growing up just because they were so they live in Boston and in New Hampshire and they're they were very very old my parents are old parents to begin with I'm super young compared to my sisters so uh, three out of my four are dead so I didn't really have the opportunity to be close to them but my parents always always inculcated in me as a child you call your grandparents once a week you have to do that me too do you know you'll oh this is awesome I remember my grandmother's number, Slocum 6. This is so far What's back. What's Slocum? Oh, um, you, I know this is great that you don't know this. I'll tell you in a moment. Okay. Slocum 60737. I don't think I've said that number in, in, in 40 years. And it's, so what is Slocum? Bef- so we now have, uh, what is it, uh, seven-digit numbers plus area code. Mm-hmm. But leave the area code aside. Because we had area codes then too. Mm-hmm. But when I was a kid, I mean really a kid because it changed probably when I was in college. When I was a r- kid, your number, instead of, uh, of uh, let's say, my phone number growing up was Dewey 65544. So that means DE65544. So I don't know what DE is in numbers, but what they did was they dropped the words. Instead, they gave you a number. But it's much easier to remember a number. This was just done for ease. Oh. 3-3? Three, three? Oh, I didn't know. Okay, so Dewey would be 3-3. Three, three. So it would be 3-3-6-5-5-4-4. Three, three, five, five, four, four. But when I grew up, it was Dewey 65544. Five, four. So what was what was your grandparents' Slocum, number? Slocum, SL. So whatever <laughs> S and L are. Oh, I, I, you know, there were there were a whole host of things, but you didn't know this. Okay, I'm laughing because I thought it was like a Seven Jewish, five. like I'm sorry? Hebrew. I thought it was like a Jewish. Oh Hebrew no, no, thing. this was universal in America. <laughs> it had nothing to do. Jew, you... Even Gentiles had these numbers. <laughs> it's like okay, I'll give a I, I'll give a tangential example, and then I want to go back to this grandparents' point. So, working with Dennis for now, it's been like three years. I did that summer with you and. Then we did Dennis and Julie out of my dorm room, and now here we are. Um, I would sit in the control room with Sean and just try to learn and, and talk to him about things. And whenever Sean's cueing you to go out, uh, when you're done with your radio segment, he goes, Zilla, and, which means 30 seconds. And I knew it was code for 30 seconds, but I thought it was some, like, because you're, what, trilingual? Qu- quadrilingual? A few, a few languages. Many languages. Yeah, right. I thought it was some, like, Dennis name for oh, like oh some God. some hebrew uh-huh. for like 30 uh-huh. it's godzilla it's just yes. short for godzilla right. we just wanted something to be well said. i want i I'll th- it's a, it's not important but how it happened was years ago i said i you know give me a one minute but i said if you say 30 seconds it won't be as clear because right. so just say godzilla and, yeah, and, and then it got and then, shorter, yeah, and then it got shorter, shorter okay well that makes sense but uh, Oh, yes. Did you, uh, you didn't hear his comment. The, what was see, it? See, this is my curse. I'm the one with the earphones. <laughs> so I hear Sean. I took the God out of Godzilla. Is that hilarious? You, you, don't, know, think, you don't think that's as look, funny as I do? Okay. This is a whole Why other Dennis and Julie this, tangent. Uh, little tiny applause? I'll tell you. It's another Dennis and Julie tangent. I sometimes don't get male humor. Oh, that's good. I, I, I will be. I'm going to be totally honest. About I that. love your honesty. I could fake oh, laugh, but I don't really oh. get it. What do you mean you took the god out of Godzilla? I don't. I'm sorry. I don't get it. I'll bet you Gabby's grandfather gets it. Oh, <laughs> he just said. I bet she, you Gabby doesn't and she's get it. A, and she, he just mumbled in my earphones. And she's a Harvard graduate. Me? Yeah. Oh yeah. Me. That, and still doesn't <laughs> like get I it. Am? And still doesn't get it. Okay. No, no, it, it's... Is okay. there like a... It, first of all, explaining a joke... Ruins must, the joke. Ru- yes, exactly. I But this happens, I will be real... You know I love working with men. I yeah. work with all men right. in the studio. You guys yes. aren't moody. You're fun to be around. I appreciate it. Sometimes I don't get it. Correct. There, there, there's, and I'm sure there's some female yes. jokes that you guys don't get. So, But you get the idea, though, that G-O-D is in Godzilla. I do. So by saying Zilla, I took God out of yeah, Godzilla. Yeah, but that's just literally describing what he did. How is that funny? It sounds like I did something that an atheist would do. Well, that an atheist activist would so do. So that's funny. <laughs> Sean is cracking up at the fact that you don't get how funny it is. Okay, well, forget me. Okay. It's anyway, not why the, I'm anyway, to be the grandparent thing. It, it's 
for parents like mine a second opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one thing. Another is, I and I say this to grandparents a lot in speeches, a lot of parents are unhappy with how their kids turned out. Not that they're murderers or, or, or bank robbers, but that their values are are often pretty awful. Well, then they probably that worry they, it's going to be passed on to the grandchild. That's right. And I tell them, unless you have no relationship with your grandchildren because your children don't even allow one, which happens a lot tragically and evilly, you should try to influence your grandchildren. I mean, do it delicately and obviously with love, but, you know, you let's say you're, you, ha, you have religious commitment and your children have none, which is very common. Mm-hmm. So take your children unless take your grandchildren unless your child objects which is really frightening to think but it could happen take your children to church or synagogue with you and and you know then have a a, a wonderful yummy lunch or a breakfast before it whatever you want to do but that would just be an example i live very far from my two grandsons and so i am i'm on zoom almost every week uh, with the older one. And by the way, it's it's a loss being across the country. They're in Florida. Right. I'm in California. It's, it's a long trip. Considering how far they are, I see them more often than most people might because I get to Florida a great deal because of speeches and so on. But uh, it is it is the way life works. I'll tell you uh, when I mean that, and even that I want to explain. So here's a real challenging thought for you. When I said earlier that my parents, you know, were not particularly warm parents to my brother or me, and I said, and I swear before God Almighty, I'm not complaining. They gave me so much that that has lasted, and certainly they became much more loving as I got to be an adult and so on. But they... They did, the, one of the reasons they did not shower us with love is because they were fulfilled with each other. And as I got older and older and older, because they died in 89 and 96, mother and father respectively, so they lived a long time. I was more and more grateful that they found each other the greatest source of comfort and love because parents who have that tend not to be preoccupied with their children and no child wants to be preoccupied with. I I told everyone in my life how lucky I was that my parents had each other. So that they, you know, they were proud of me and all of that stuff, but I wasn't the center of their life. And believe it or not, maybe a narcissistic child wants to be the center of parents' life, and especially maybe at at nine, but at 29, 39, 49, and 59, you don't want to be the center of your parents' life. Parents have a difficult I mean parents have a difficult job in many ways but they have to toe a line between making their kids feel loved and cared for and prioritized but also to your point not being too much in their face. I mean, that's any child doesn't want that. I've, I was at a speech with you once and someone came up to you and said, you probably don't remember this, and said, Dennis, can you tell my son to uh, date this girl that I have? And sh- she showed you a photo that, you know, at the synagogue because he won't listen to me if I tell him. That's a universal with mm-hmm. kids just want their parents to go away sometimes. It is a great burden when your parents try to live through you and try to... And it's very common. It's very common. It's That's the story. Uh, what was it? The story of um, God, uh, just a famous movie that just came out. Oh yes, the girl. Yes, Elvis Presley's very, very, very young wife. Oh, that the the mother of that girl wanted this young girl, this teenage girl, to be with Elvis Presley because he was a star. 
She lived through her daughter. It's, it's, it's somewhat of a famous story. I, I didn't know it because I don't know pop culture that well, but it is a somewhat famous story. And it, it is not uncommon, and it's awful. I think it's a relatively recent phenomenon in American history, though, I, I would say. I, I did a segment on my show about helicopter parenting as opposed to free-range parenting. And a lot of the op-eds and the, the guidebooks about parenting really started to proliferate in the 1980s and 90s. And my preliminary hypothesis is that as American society became more affluent, parents started to see their children as another commodity or as another way that they could maintain a social status over others. Think about the, the typical forms of status. You drive a nice car. You live in a nice house. You you know, go, belong to a nice country travel club. You travel a lot. Kids, I think, were seen as this fertile ground of they can give me new street cred especially in the areas where I lack. So I think I think it's fairly recent. But uh, sorry, Oh, no, 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 don't be sorry. I, I, if you have something more to say on that, but it, it, it's so this is a very interesting question how new it is. I hadn't thought about that. I didn't think of it in terms of new. I have a joke about it. It's not a joke, you know, ha ha ha, but it's it, it's 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 a joke that I tell that's true. Instability, vulnerability, uncertainty, volatility, precarious, unpredictable. All of these words describe our banking system as evidenced by three recent collapses of banks. Julie Hartman here for AmFed Coin and Bullion. These were the second, third, and fourth largest bank failures in U.S. history, and the Federal Reserve has been scrambling to keep this bank run from spreading. If you feel uneasy about having too much money sitting around in the bank, you're not alone. Gold, silver, and platinum have had recent gains as investors look for safe places to park their money. Now more than ever, you need to call Nick Grovich, owner of AmFed Coin and Bullion. Dennis has been doing business with Nick for years, and he doesn't go anywhere else. Nick and his very experienced team of specialists will provide you with personalized attention, honest information, and sound advice. Be smart and be prepared. If you're interested in buying or selling, call AmFed Coin and Bullion 1-800-221-7694, AmericanFederal.com. That's AmericanFederal.com. I have a joke about it. It's not a joke, you know, ha ha ha, but it's, it, it's, it's, it's a joke that I tell that's true that uh, when I go around, I mean, you know this, you know, people stop me for selfies, restaurants, airports, wherever it is, and I'm very, very touched by it, by the way. I, I never got jaded for a second. Anyway, as I often note, I never know if it's a Jew or a non-Jew. How would I know? But I know it's a Jew immediately if the person tells me what college his or her child goes to. That it's no Gentile in the history of Gentiles. You're so wrong. I know so many Gentiles who do that. Okay, then. Okay, that's very important that you said that. And I accept that you're right. And I won't, I'll still tell the joke because it's funny. But at least I'll know it isn't necessarily true. It's a very bad development. My worth comes from the college my kid got into. I can't think of. I mean, I'm sorry because I'm going to hurt some people's feelings, but I don't mean to. It's just such a bad idea, and it doesn't reflect well on you. And anyway, what do you do after they graduate? Do you say, oh, you know, my son went to Cornell? <laughs> what do, what do, you, do you do? You drop that when he's 40? You know, uh, 20 years ago, uh, Charlie went to Cornell. I mean, I, 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 I don't get it. I told, forgive me, I know you're dying to say something. No, I'm not, I'm not. Right, I don't know, but I raised my kids. I was just interviewed by the Independent Women's Forum, uh, did a podcast right, right before a recent show, and she asked me, what is my advice on raising kids? And uh, I gave three answers, uh, which I won't get into, but one of them was that all I told my boys and I'm saying this publicly because I know they would not refute this. Okay. All I care is about your character. I don't care what college you go to. 
I don't care what your grades are, which is really rare for a parent, and I don't even care if you go to college. Because I know if you have, first of all, character is infinitely more important than grades or college. But secondly, you will succeed in life if you have good character. Why? Some Many would argue you wouldn't. Oh, well. Or you won't. They're thinking in the short term. Yes, well, that I agree with. Okay, that's the answer. In the short term, the thief does better than the honest guy. In the long term, the thief is probably going to end up on skid row or in jail or dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, character is, is character uber alles. Since you're, uh, well, I was going to say you're, you're into Nietzsche, but Nietzsche wouldn't, wouldn't, didn't use uber alles. He used uber mensch. He used uber mensch. By the way, I came up with a new idea on oh. my most recent show on radio. Oh, you knew it. I feel like yes. I feel like that's not a revelation. I feel like you come up with new ideas all yeah, the time. Yeah, well, you're right. So this is one I really like because I I memorized it. So when Gavin Newsom, this is completely unrelated to grandparents or anything we just spoke about. So we should call this the tangent hour. We every every D and J is tangent yes, hour. Yes, but so long as the tangents are important and and interesting, that's all that matters, is my opinion. Anyway, so Gavin Newsom infamously ate at an expensive restaurant. The laundromat. The, 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 French, the French laundry. The French laundry. Not laundromat. <laughs> that is hilarious. The laundromat. You must keep that error. That is the most embarrassing error Julie has come up with no, in, in no. 35 or whatever the hell it's, number. I thought it was called the laundromat. I'm sure you did. You can see I haven't dined there This is ever. episode 65. No, what in, was the one I said? I said um, annoyment. No, that's nothing. That was bad. That's nothing. It's a slip of the tongue. This is precious. The laundromat. (laughs) I have to say, I always thought it was called that. And and for years, I've been thinking, that's a really bad name. Yes, it is. So it's it's French laundry. doesn't matter. So he, this is critical, this point, I think. So the man ruined the lives of tens of thousands or maybe hundred thousand restaurant owners in California with his lockdowns right while they were all open by the way in Florida it, it, it was it was a farce it was, it was much worse than a farce it was criminal and of course mask mandates well again in Florida they didn't exist at the t- same time and yet he's then videoed eating at a restaurant and no mask okay so everybody said, what a hypocrite. And the whole time I kept saying that, that hypocrisy is the least of the issues. But I couldn't figure out what the real issue was literally until this week. Oh, I was talking about it and I said, what is the reason Nancy Pelosi can shut down the country and then go herself to a hair salon? And wear no mask. Remember that one? Of course. Okay. Again, it's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is is minuscule. Right. And then I figured it out. The left, no. They don't think. They don't believe. They know. They are ubermenschen. They are the superior being. Yep. And the normal laws that apply to us nothings do not apply to the ubermensch. The upper human, the better human, the overhuman, however you want to translate it. When you said Uber mentioned Nietzsche, that's what that that explains the left. They are that is why they can destroy lives with lies, because they know they are morally superior, so all the normal moral rules don't apply to them. They apply to us the 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 rabble. You're absolutely right. Victor Frankel said, as we noted last week, that the human race is divided into two categories, the decent and indecent. Nietzsche thought that the human race was also divided into two categories, the strong and the weak. The left thinks it's divided into two categories, them and then the, the peons. The enlightened. They yes, use the, the term enlightened. enlightened all the time. Yes, absolutely. We are in darkened. So I had a friend in college who is sadly no longer my friend, and it, and it really is sad because of my political beliefs. And this individual would talk a lot about, you know, doing the right thing and, and um, 
caring for minorities and underprivileged people, you know, super lefty. So at Harvard, we had this lottery system for our upperclassmen house. Freshmen live in the yard, and then for your remaining three years, you're sorted into a house. And it's a big deal which house you get into. There are 12 upperclassmen houses. It's a big deal because 99.9% of students live on campus, and you want to live in a good dorm. And the disparity in dorms is massive. Some of them are newly renovated. Some of them haven't been renovated since John Quincy Adams graced the the door. I mean, seriously, like cockroaches. Ra- I mean, it's disgusting. So they, Harvard says it's random, the lottery. I actually believe them because some of the students you would think would get a cushy house don't. So I think, i.e., like, you know, presidents or something. So anyway, I think it's random. But there are ways that people try to game it. One of the ways people try to game it is by claiming that they have a medical ailment so that they can live in a dorm that is in closer proximity to the uh, medical uh, center, Harvard University Health Services, which is in the center of campus. So all of the houses you want are near there. They're geographically desirable. This same person who would always talk to me about fairness and equity and giving people chances and all this crap, guess what he did? What? Said he he was sick? He got a doctor's note Mm -hmm. because he was in a skiing accident months before, Mm -hmm. and he had some kind of ski, and he had to walk with a brace, which is, okay, probably bad, but but lasted for a few months. We wouldn't – we were freshmen at that point. The first time we'd be living in the house was in the coming year. He got a doctor to write a note that he had to be in closer proximity to the health services. And you know what? I don't think it even occurred to this individual that it was was against – his principles because it's just it's just i'm the elite i'm i know better i can just do this and it's it's a st- i don't i don't dennis i don't think they even realize it and, and i'm not trying to give a pass no, uh, oh I that's a very interesting because question. they're so surrounded with people who think oh i can just get extra time on my my test in in high school you know that's even if right. i don't have a learning disability right. i can just get you know mm-hmm. just just all of these privileges it's just they don't even think about it Two comments. One, one is somewhat trivial, but still, I want to make it. I don't. I think that anyone in America could find some doctor to write anything. Yes. Yes. Anything. Can. Anything. Literally anything. Yes. You have gender dysphoria. You can and, get and, all and, of it. And, yes. And, it's sad. Anything. I. You can get them to write. I. I think you could find some doctor to write. Uh, my patient, Mr. Prager seems to have two legs, but he is convinced he has one leg. So he should be allowed on the airplane earlier during pre-boarding. Okay. The more important point that I do, by the way, it was a a silly but important point. Doctors will write anything. You can find a doctor to write anything. But more important, so I have a question for you, which just occurred to me based on what I said and based on your anecdote about the, the houses at Harvard. I now realize this, this Ubermensch thing has really hit me hard. Mm. You think the average kid at Harvard sort of had an Ubermensch self-image? I don't, I don't. I actually met a lot of really nice, down-to-earth people. I don't want to smear it with one broad brush. I mean, of course, there there is a contingent that... And by the way, <laughs> I only am saying this because I just... I've read a lot of Nietzsche. I think his Ubermensch mentality wasn't so much about people thinking they're superior. I mean, certainly, yes, it was that, but it was like people just recklessly, unrelentingly oppressing others in order to get ahead. Nietzsche was in favor of the slave and slave owner society. He thought, well, if you're weak, you're a slave. And if you're strong, you're, I mean, he took it to the ultimate extreme. So these, I wouldn't say like Harvard students are people who think they're better. Even the left, I wouldn't so much call them Ubermensch. I would just call them in the way Nietzsche understood it. I would just call them as pompous, aristocratic, elite, blankety blanks who think they're better, but they wouldn't take, I would hope they wouldn't take it as far as Nietzsche's idea of a strong man would. Mm-hmm. But the answer is no. I, there's a contingent for well, sure. Well, what but you described not is pom- pompous, superior, da 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 da, da whatever yeah. else. That, that is that is my definition of Ubermensch. Right. It may not be Nietzsche's. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, if, if that's yours, then yes, there's. there's uh, a I, I do believe that, and it's not just about Harvard. I believe all of the left. That that is what they believe, and that's why I said 
That, look, I don't know where Newsom went to college. I don't know if he did, and I don't care. But he did not believe that the rule he made others live by applied to him, not because of hypocrisy. That's my insight. But because it doesn't have to apply to me. I'm better than you. Yes. Well, a lot of individuals, specifically my age, I think they have this idea that they're on the right side of history. That That's right. That, uh, you the know, moral arc bends in yes, their direction. Yes. Like, I, you know, I'm against the, the evil Republican white supremacists. I'm against the police brutality. I'm against this. You know, I'm a virtuous person. So if I, you know, get a note from my doctor saying that I need to be near the, the medical services for a two-month ski accident, then that's fine because overall my net contribution to society is – positive into history that's right that's that's their idea so they now the question is would they say that about us so they they might say, say what specifically? oh oh you guys on the right you think you're better than others this is a common uh, argument given to religious people against religious people against conservatives as well but it's a dishonest argument we we do think our values are better if we didn't why the hell would we advocate them? right but I mean, I know, I know virtually every single prominent conservative. I mean, in, in most cases, pretty well. And they would laugh at the idea that the rules don't apply to them. Right. It, 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 it would be inconceivable to these people to think that way. They may, they may break some rules because they're weak or they're, whatever there might be. Human beings, no, no side has angels but there is no sense that the rules i advocate don't apply to me there are individuals who will have that uh, obviously yes it's like you know there was a prominent uh, christian not podcaster in those days what were they called the um televangelist and he railed against visiting prostitutes he was visiting prostitutes hmm. So, it, it, again, hypocrisy is a silly term to use. It's trivial compared to what he did. But th- that is a classic example of it doesn't apply to me. I mean, if you visit prostitutes, it's probably not a good idea to just I talk know. about how people shouldn't visit I know. Just stay silent on it. Yes, just exactly. don't go there. You it know? shouldn't be your issue. <laughs> well, I... I'm glad that you brought this up because, look, of course, there are everyday conservatives or everyday religious people who think that they're better. I, I as as you know, as I've said, subscribe to the v- Viktor Frankl idea. Decent and indecent. Do I happen to think that more d- decent people happen to vote Republican, at least right now in this country? Yes. But still, there are many indecent Republicans, and I'm sure there are decent Democrats. But I think the point of religion and conservatism is actually very humble. It's this idea that there are certain values that you place above yourself and that you are subservient to, that you follow regardless of your personal or professional advantage. In other words, there are certain unchanging eternal standards that you can't go against. And so when people are advocating for those, it may come across as – pedantic or like I'm better but it's actually saying no the values are better than all of us including me that's very important I think that the left as opposed to liberals again the left hates the idea of God-given morality because they're not humble that that's a definition of humility I have to answer to God for how I behave. It's the abortion thing. I think that's oh, okay, that, that, you play there. Well, Oh, of course it is. Listen, if, if a pro-choice person says, well, what about rape? What about incest? Even though, obviously, those who think it's a human, it's a human no matter how conceived, we, we grant a, an, an understanding of, of their argument. Of course. Okay, absolutely. Uh, the the girl you know can't she can't afford to raise a child. She's a it's a terrible home life. All this we understand all of that, but my issue with the pro choice folks is that they don't recognize that the pregnant woman might have a moral standard to which she must be uh, uh, judged. 
Yes. That's you can't judge them. They don't even acknowledge. Look, we've talked about it on this show. I'm conflicted when it comes to abortion. Really conflicted. I can understand both sides. Of course, I'm not an aborted nine months kind of person. I want to make that clear. But but I go back and forth. But you're so right that what I dislike about pro-choice people, they won't even acknowledge that that exists. They deny. And I and I I notice that this is this is the case with many left wingers. They will not acknowledge that any of their positions may have some downsides. With regard to immigration, for instance, they will not acknowledge the downside that yes, maybe we could be welcoming great people into this country. Many great people who are immigrants have come into this country, but it opens the possibility for abuse and and drugs and gain. They will never, ever acknowledge that. And it's the same thing with abortion. They won't acknowledge that there may be some responsibility that you as the woman who is in that unfortunate situation may have to your unborn child. Well, I think the the abortion is a very clear example of you cannot hold a pregnant woman as being judgeable. No. She is God vis-a-vis that that uh, that fetus she is god the the determiner of life and death is by definition god the idea that there is a moral god above her is offensive to people who believe they're moral gods mm-hmm. that's why my ubermensch thing it, it struck me as a very important new realization it's that it's not hypocrisy i determine the rules for me they say that. Yes. Your, that's that's the, whole, the whole point. Your truth. I, whenever people say, tell your truth, there's no such thing as your truth. There's your opinion and my opinion. There's your perspective and my perspective. But there is no such thing as your truth and my truth. There is the truth that exists that is unchanging and eternal and you can't you it or me it. And we should pursue it. Right. But but with the, with the abortion thing too, I mean – I feel sometimes, and I, I'm not trying to paint all left wingers with one with one broad brush, but but many the many of those on the left will not acknowledge the amount of nuance that that comes into certain situations. I love Tom Sowell's argument that there are no solutions in life; there are just trade offs. They they kind of just reduce things to moral absolutes. Wow, hold on, that line isn't that a great line? I use oh, that. I use that God. when I spoke to UCLA. Wh- yeah, which it, book was that in? Because Tom Sowell is a giant. I think it was like discrimination and disparities. Wow. I think there are oh, no solutions. There are right. just trade offs. That's that's right. Either way, with abortion, it's a One very minute. sad I, you're thing. You're not letting me levitate. Oh. <laughs> you you have this too. A great insight. I know you got to let it. It's, hit it's you. almost in the realm of the erotic. It is so pleasurable. <laughs> Is that fair to say? You said it, Dennis. <laughs> I may agree or disagree. I grew up so culturally Catholic. I can't say oh, the word oh, ironic. Oh, yeah, you're right. I you, forgot about you that. You Jews are very open about sexual right. matters. Okay. We, Catholics but, don't acknowledge right. sex exists. So eat, well, yeah, no, yeah, they'll kill you for that. But they do. But it, it, it's obviously not something I've never heard my parents say the word sex ever. Right, or erotic. Or, I don't right. think they even know what that means. Yeah. Right. Sorry, go on. Um, but all I'm saying, not to get sidetracked, although I love getting sidetracked, but not to get sidetracked, th- everyone should have joy from an insight that explains life. That one is beyond precious. There are no solutions, only trade-offs. I have said that in different ways, but not as well as he said it. I never said the no solutions part. What I said is, what I did say, though, for years, the moment you ask what is the price, you are no longer on the left. Or what is the consequence? Yeah, same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, when, when, when people say, well, in the name of safety, but wait a minute, what is the price you're paying? You know, they, 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 they took away so much fun from kids' lives, monkey bars, uh, you mean lo- uh, diving bars. No, Lockdowns. no, before COVID, having nothing to do with COVID. Oh, the number you should look. You you will find this fascinating. The number of things we played on with and with as kids in my generation that were banned because they're not safe. Wow, I would I wouldn't even know. That's about that. right, you wouldn't even know. You, you know what monkey bars are? I do. 
Okay, were they allowed in your? Yeah, in but your I case? actually remember they were so low to the yeah. ground. Oh, is that a joke? My uh, yeah. feet would drag no, no. on the ground. Uh, oh my god, it, that, that's all right. That's so actually, there you go. I, I remember Auto, that. Give in, me another one. Diving in boards in, in people's home pools can't have that in California. Just when you thought it couldn't get any better, Mike Lindell with MyPillow is launching the MyPillow 2.0. When Mike invented MyPillow, it had almost everything you could want in a pillow. Now, nearly 20 years later, he discovered a new technology that makes it better. Now, the MyPillow 2.0 has a patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow, but with a brand new fabric that is made with a temperature-regulating thread. The MyPillow 2.0 is the softest, smoothest, and coolest pillow you'll ever own. For our exclusive listeners, the MyPillow 2.0 is the buy one, get one free offer with the promo code Hartman. MyPillow 2.0's temperature-regulating technology is 100% made in the USA and comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square to get the buy one, get one free offer. Enter the promo code Hartman or call 1-800-566-6745 to get your MyPillow 2.0s now. Uh, let's see, what else was there? Seesaws. Do you have, did you have seesaws? I never, do you even know what a seesaw I is? I do, I do. You don't, you didn't have seesaws? That's mind blowing. I wonder what could possibly happen. You'll fall off. That's right. You'll fall off. So what? So they only know the, they only know the danger. But they don't know the price. The same with the lockdowns. That's why I opposed them from the beginning. Right. Do you know the price that humanity is going to pay for your damn lockdowns? And it doesn't. What about the price that two-year-olds have to wear masks? Do you understand the price they pay? Are two-year-olds dying of COVID? Are you out of your mind? <laughs> I, I, it, it, that Americans put up with that? That airlines enforce that rule? Two-year-olds had to wear masks? This, this, so that was my way of, of saying Soul's comment, that the moment you ask what is the price, trade-off is his word, price was mine, I prefer trade-off, but it doesn't matter, then you are no longer a person of the left. Well, my, my question for, for those on the left is, and it's come up recently with regard to the UNC and the Harvard case before the Supreme Court pertaining to affirmative action, which is going to be decided in, in about a month. There was, I think it was in like the UC Regents versus Bakke case. One of the cases, Justice Sandra Day O'Connor wrote, in 20 years from now, we're not going to need, or we, we would like to phase out affirmative action. I forget the exact wording, but they essentially put 20 years as the end mark. Here we are. It's 20 years later. It remains to be seen what will happen. But my question is, what is the, what is your um, what is your angle? When does when are the number of hate crimes so low that racism ceases to be the number one issue in society? What you know, President Biden said a few weeks ago at the Howard University commencement address that white supremacy is the biggest problem facing the nation. They never say when X, Y, Z, you know, once we can get to that level, this will cease to be a problem because to them, they're actually, it's not about the problem. The first book of mine, I think that you read is about the left and about America and about Islam, still the best hope. I have a whole chapter on left-wing reliance on hysteria. That without hysteria, there is no left. The, uh, think about it. The, People, a lot of people believe that global warming is an existential threat. I've been told it's an existential threat now for 35 years. Al Gore wrote his first book about Earth in the Balance. That was the name, 1990. So he obviously wrote it before 1990. It came out in 1990. There was, and during the Reagan period, which obviously you, you should read about this because you read so voraciously, there was hit massive preoccupation with homelessness because it was a Republican president. As soon as he uh, was succeeded uh, by a, a Democrat, the, the, the homeless issue died. Now it's back again, but, but right now it really is real because of what they have done with our cities and, and allowed the homeless to basically take over cities. But there's always been hysteria. See, oh, oh here's what you'll love because I get... I. When you love the, I know. I, I was thinking it. it. Wait for that. We need to explain to the audience. Okay. For those who don't know, Dennis and I were saying last time that we point out things that we do, or things that we say that we don't notice. And one of them is Dennis goes, "You'll love this." 
Right. Now I have to remember what it is you'll love. Uh, let's see here. Sorry. Yeah. Well, this is because I was listening to one of our episodes and I realized that we don't explain some of our like inside jokes. No, no, that, jokes. that's fair. So. Uh, uh, no, no. This, even... this, this was, uh, we were talking about homeless. Oh, well, this Reagan. happens every show. Hysteria, it does happen every show. Uh, it's really remarkable. Hysteria during I know, the I know. Area. We're talking about the various hysterias. Oh, yes. Here it oh, is. Oh, good. So, uh. There was this very large hysteria about heterosexual AIDS. AIDS was overwhelmingly gay males and intravenous drug users and their partners. Okay? The, The group, the proof, the least affected group were lesbians. The, The group least likely to have AIDS. So it's not homophobic in any possible way that you say... The truth, it was gay men and it was intravenous drug users. users. So I have spoken about the hysteria that they created about heterosexual AIDS in order to deflect blame, as if we're blaming, but to deflect blame from homosexuals, from from gay men. To this day, there was something written. The New York Times wrote it about me that I claimed that heterosexual AIDS was was hysteria. No, I claimed that the left made it into hysteria. I didn't claim they. So they changed what I actually said as if I denied heterosexual AIDS even existed. Of course, it existed, but the hysteria over it was created by the left. They never put it that way. So I think even on my own uh, Wikipedia page, which is a picture of me I can barely recognize. Really? Uh, yeah, not, not the photo. I mean, oh. the, the description. Oh, yes. The, the, no, yes. the description. Oh, it, it is bad. No, no. It's really bad. And it's, in, it's, it's inaccurate. And I can't change it. I have no access to my own Wikipedia page. It's okay. You live with this. If you're, if you're not on the left, you'll be lied about. It is, it is, it is just a given. But that is a good. That is an example of where I'm lied about. They did make heterosexual AIDS into a hysteria. They didn't create that. That it was a, a that it that it was a myth. Of course, it existed, but it was rare. You know the great thing about the truth, the the actual truth, not the propagandized or politicized truth. The truth isn't racist. The truth isn't homophobic. The truth isn't transphobic. Like it, it's really, it's impossible. If something is is true, but it's uncomfortable. Totally, it's, it's none uncomfortable. of those things. Yes, right. Yes, that's a, that's well said. That's well said. It is none of those things that I mentioned, but it is uncomfortable. But it it that's why everyone should pursue the truth because it it like for instance, if everyone pursued the truth, there would be no left. There would be liberals. There would be conservatives. But there would be there would be no racists. Uh, I mean, just virtually every evil would be would be gone if if everyone pursued truth. The amount of evil on earth. I mean, people would still be jealous and envious, and people would still you know cheat on their spouses, and there will be child abuse. Right, of course. I mean, there'll be a lot of bad things, but large scale evil depends on lies. Also, I. Sometimes when I talk to people on the left, I say, look, some like <laughs> if you just are pursuing the truth in this situation, you will g- see the outcome that you want to see or you will see the argument that you want to see. Allow me to provide an example. I don't know if I'm making sense. It, but when people talk about systemic racism, that is an issue that I know a lot about and care a lot about because that was the, if you will, awakening issue that I realized, oh my God, I am not a liberal because it was Black Lives Matter. The police were being lied about. Everything was being lied about. So people say, well, you know, America is systemically racist. And I say, if you look at the truth, you're actually right that America is systemically racist. But it's not It's not police. I mean, in 2019, 12 unarmed blacks were killed by police. Should that number be zero? Of course that number should be zero. But we no, don't... it can't be zero it... because a lot of the unarmed people are attacking police right. it's and true. going for it's their true. gun. Yeah, almost all, all but, of but, them. But were... it is. It's 20. That's the point that 12. just needs to be 12? 12. 
What year? 2019, the year before the Black Lives Matter rights, 12, 12 unarmed blacks were killed that year by police. Is that widespread evidence of police brutality and systemic racism? Of course not. But all, all of these individuals were talking about, about systemic racism. And I go, if you look at the truth... It's it's there. Not that not that they want. To, I would hope they wouldn't want to see systemic racism, but it's not what what you think it is. Look at schools. Tom Sowell writes about the the crisis of American education. The teachers unions. It is so hard to fire a teacher. What happens when a teacher misbehaves? They are sent to a rubber room, which is essentially a time out where they do paperwork or whatever for two, three years. And then they're funneled back into these public schools. Where are they funneled? Do you think they're in Wellesley, Massachusetts or in Brentwood, California or in, you know, an an affluent neighborhood of Dallas, Texas? No, they go to the low income minority school districts because the teachers unions go, oh, well, those kids aren't going to succeed anyway. They're low income. They're, you know, and those awful teachers go back into those school districts. That is that is systemic racism it is that is right there plain and simple i think it is systemic racism this narrative that you have to lower standards for black people and that you have to tell them that they're a victim that they will never get ahead in their life without without a miracle of curing invisible racism i think that is systemically racist it's putting blacks down and so that's where when people pursue the truth we expect less from you Yes. Why isn't that, that racist? Is, it's so racist. It's so racist to 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 victim to inculcate this victim mentality in, into black people. I'd like to ask to, to discourage. I want to ask suburban white, you, you know, the uh, the the soccer mom who was who was who was on the left. A, can you name one intellectual black? Yeah. Uh, I was conservative. The answer will be zero. By they the way, the, the, forget woman, a, a, any leftist, male right. or female. But even then, name name for me a truly uh, a person you think is truly deep and bright who's black on the left. I'm not even sure that they would have an answer to that one. I, I can. People who say Ibrahim X. Kendi, I think he's a fool, but he's an example of someone that they might answer. But I'll bet you they don't even know that. They 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 are so racist on the left. They probably would be in trouble naming a black intellectual one. Yeah, I could name a dozen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, gaslighting black people that racism is everywhere in American society. That is that is racist. That is that is trying to make individuals discouraged and that's trying to manipulate them to vote a certain way and support certain candidates who frame themselves as the the saviors of this supposed racism before we go uh, it's already time to go no but oh but we're we're heading there as life works out so i i want to bounce off something <laughs> that i just read united airlines has now announced that flight attendants, you know, where they have their name yeah, uh, in a little badge with a name, will now have, if the, if the flight attendant wants, their preferred pronoun. I'm not, I mean, I'm not shocked. I see this all the time. People have it in their Instagram bios or in their Twitter bios. It's every, it, I'm so, I'm so desensitized uh-huh. oh, to it. Oh, that's fascinating. I'm not. I'm not desensitized yet. I'm I'm jaded. I, well, I yeah, but it's because you're on on social media more than I am. Well, also, but, I just I just graduated from college. I that's mean, you right. go around the classroom and you say it. You do. Yeah. You do put you it on realize, your note card. Do you realize the speed with which the left takes over society? Do you realize that on 20, 2019... I know. You know, I know, and I've said this many times. It's it's a very powerful story. I said to Bill Maher on his show. You know, the left says men menstruate, and he laughed at me. You could see it. It went viral. It's on YouTube, millions of views. People should watch it. Dennis Prager, Bill Maher. 20, that was three and a half years That's ago. That's right, three People and a half years People were laughing at you. He laughed at me. The, the, the whole audience laughed at me, and the panel laughed at me. And he said, come on, Dennis, who says that? And now if you don't say that, you're a hater. That's the speed with which any lie can take over a society. How long did it take to teach Germans Jews were their Unglück, their misfortune? When the mass media say something and the schools say something, 
within months, people overwhelmingly will believe it. It is the most frightening thing about the human species, the ease with which they will adopt a lie. It's really, it's really something. I know. Well, we, you know, I say this a lot, that that we in the United States are so privileged. That's another thing. The left talks so much about privilege, privilege, privilege. Wokeism is privilege. Wokeism is spoiled brat syndrome. When you're complaining about, you know, microaggressions, you know that you live in a pretty damn good society. But we don't know. We've never seen the real consequence of lies. You know, people who live in other parts of the world, they know how destructive a lie can be. We, thank God, in America haven't seen that to the same extent as those in, you know, Eastern Europe have or those in currently communist China. And so I I talked about this with you a few episodes ago, that there's this mentality that's permeated young people that life is a game and you either win or you lose. And you, you know... You can do whatever you can, essentially, to get ahead. If it means, as I said, writing the note to get closer to the dorm, do it. If it means in an interview, maybe espousing some political beliefs you don't have in order to get that job, do it. There's there's a diminishing sense of always abiding by certain principles. And I just think it is so indicative of a privileged society where we society where we can celebrate corruption, where we can celebrate lying, where we can celebrate scheming and gaming. Only a society in which people like congratulate one another for cheating, doing a good job of cheating on an exam, only a society where people can can congratulate each other for that can be as prosperous as the United States. Does that make sense? We don't know how bad some of this corruption can get, so we praise each other for it. Well, this country has much more corruption today than it ever had. Well, yes, but it's not as immediately felt as it is in, for instance. Oh, it's getting Russia. there. I, it, I have to tell you. Yeah, but compared what, what, to the, Russia and China, it's yeah, not in our everyday lives. Yes, that's right. You, you don't feel it. You don't feel although it. Although, if day. you're aware of it, look, I feel it because the 51x intelligence heads in the United States who said that the Biden laptop was probably Russian but, disinformation but people don't know that yeah okay they don't know it because of the corruption of the media no i, I agree so they, with you yes but... you're right oh so what you're saying is there is a lot but they don't know it whereas in other countries there's a lot and they know it yeah like like i was listening to oh god what's her name you interviewed her the korean woman um uh, yes, I, I, I forgot I, her right. name, but the, she's she's the everywhere. North defector, the North Korean yes. defector. She's amazing, and she was saying that people go into the home in in North Korea, and and if the portrait of Kim Jong Un has a piece of dust on it, they are called insufficiently loyal to the state, and they're carted away. Like they literally do inspections of the of the portrait in the Koreans' homes. Myan Wat is, Park, Myan. Oh, Myan yeah. Park. Yes, yes, yes. That is felt every day. Lies, corruption, schemey stuff. That is felt every day by citizens in other countries. In our country, it's not. We know about the actual corruption because we read about it and it's our job. But it's no—it's not trickling down enough to the everyday lives of people for it to for, for them to wake up and realize that it's an issue. Sadly, I think the thing. I hope I'm wrong. Maybe I'm cynical. Maybe the only thing that will turn our country around is if it gets felt on a day-to-day level. It's well, a sobering it, it thought, may, but... But, but having studied communism my whole life and been to so many communist countries, by the time you feel it, it's too late. Right, well, yeah. They are so entrenched in their power. And then, then there won't be a Dennis and Julie podcast to tell them otherwise. Well, that's a sad thought to think there wouldn't be a Dennis and Julie podcast. For many reasons. For many reasons. Yes. It's the highlight of my week. Moi aussi. You know what that means? Me too. I'm assuming that's a proper language and not some shorthand that you and Sean came up with. That's correct. So I still don't get I've been thinking about that episode. I still don't get the, that I'm joke. Taking the God out of Godzilla. Eh, whatever. Uh, that it, this is... 
case because Dennis made his career about putting God in everything. That was Sean's response. But that's not the reason. It's just a funny line. This is why men don't rib their wives. Oh, yes. They do not. <laughs> people people in the control room know I'm bad at ribbing. I, I've tried to rib them at times. Did it work? No. No, it comes natural to men. So they I view have, it as an insult. Oh, by the way, I have a final question about trans. So if a man <laughs> really trans. becomes a woman, yeah. does he find things more rapidly? You think men find things more rapidly? No, women do. Oh, women do. Oh, Oh, yeah, exactly. I would believe I that he became a woman if all of a sudden he could find things. Well, women wh- find things much more rapidly than men, as oh. you will find out, God willing, when one day you are married. And God you, willing. And your husband <laughs> will say, honey, where is the... And you, you will tell him where it is. That's so funny. You, I didn't realize that. Oh, yes. Ask any married man. My mom's always losing things. My dad's always finding them. Really? Yeah. Maybe they're trans. <laughs> They're not. I've met them. They're quite They're male and quite female. How can people reach us, Dennis? This is this one is for Prager Means. They can reach us through Julie-Hartman at Hartman.com. You know it. You've said it so at many Julie, times. At Julie-Hartman.com. That's right. I just wanted to show you that I could mangle it. And what's my Instagram handle? It is. Well, no, I said what is uh, my Instagram handle. I don't know. Julie R. Hartman on Instagram and Twitter. Oh, how am I supposed to know that? Because I say it every show. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Every if single show. If you said it the last show, I will buy you another fountain. Oh, handle. done. Oh, done. The you Instagram. Didn't just, just, the Instagram handle. I, done. I just got a new fountain pen. I, I, You are good. You are so wrong on that. Sean, only, didn't I say it? The only woman on earth I who's did. happy I to said get it. a fountain I pen. I get a fountain pen. I must say, this is a great moment for me. <laughs> Shalom. Bye, everyone. Bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.